you know, you hear a lot about coastal towns and coastal cities. I mean, shit, you have San Francisco and New York even. And all the news you ever hear from seaside cities or seaside news at all is from California, New York, Maine even. But you never really hear anything about the coast of Oregon. And, you know, while it is beautiful, I mean, it really is, there's nothing out here. There's hours of stretches of land where the only thing connecting it is this small little highway. It's weird. Well, you drive far enough north and the highway eventually turns inland. Uh, firs, spruces, a few stretches of tall redwoods, but the fattest, most menacing looking cedars I've ever seen. I, I know, I know. It seems dramatic, talking about trees like there's some kind of tattooed tough guy eyeballing you on the subway. But this stretch of road looks like something you'd only see in, you know, one of those hillbilly horror movies. Uh, deliverance or wrong turn. On the topic of hillbilly horror, I've spent some time in Europe and a couple of months in Japan. And nowhere else really encapsulates the same amount of fear that North America does when it comes to fringe communities. You know, chainsaw-wielding maniacs, cannibals that attack tourists. Both Europe and Asia have this bigger fear of the supernatural. You know, spirits and demons and things like that. And we have, you know, the Chainsaw Massacre and inbred freaks. You think that has something to say about our psyches? That we have a... What the shit is that? Oh, fuck. Uh, okay, I'm not sure, but he, he had a raincoat. You know, like the one at the hotel the other day. Uh, tan, thick. I mean, it's not possible, is it? No. No, it's a coincidence. Right? I mean, <laughs> it's cold out here on the coast. I mean, so raincoats are normal. And the rain just comes out in spurts, out of nowhere, really. So, I mean... Having a coat is, you know, common sense, and <laughs> tan is, it's, uh, just the color, right? I took a class in college, uh, I think it was called rudimentary criminology skills, some stupid thing like that. It was a six-week course. Professor was this tall, lanky guy, you know, you know the type that thinks he's more important than he actually is. Professor... Richardson? Brent? Brian? Maybe it was Bradley. Uh, I don't remember his name. But he had this theory he toted around class. The improbability matrix. He said it that investigation is part coincidence and part connections. And the amount of variables determine the two. And there's just too many variables. It, there's no way that tan coat man was the same from the other day. I mean, right? How would he even get further than my car? I mean, further than I am now. I mean, just walking, there's, there's no way. Just no way. Okay, let's get back to reality, which is oddly enough, a whole lot of nothing. Um, I mean, other than the trees and the road 
Um, <laughs> there really isn't anything out here. Wait, was that a billboard? Okay, <laughs> so that was a... Oh, fuck. Uh, how am I... Give me a second. Alright, good news. Uh, you know Bryce. Yeah, of course you don't. Well, he works for the IRS, and he found you. Well, I mean, technically some tax records. Found an employer that employed an Emily Candace Fitzhugh. Uh, 22, I mean, it's you. And evidently, you took a job for an excavation company up north. Uh, somewhere around the Tillamook area. The Norman and Terrace Brothers Quarry, I think he said? I mean, it kinda feels out of place for you, isn't it? I mean, previous art student, plays the flute, likes 80s rom-coms, and is a quarry miner? What were you doing out there? Well, at least I can take a little comfort knowing that I'm still on the right path. Not driving through a maze of trees for absolutely nothing. Fat Forks Diner. It advertised a mystery meat pie. Who in their right mind would stop off in a podunk place like this and choose to eat something where they won't, or can't, admit what's in it? I mean, mystery meat. Yeah, that sounds like the secret phrase of the day for cannibalism. Well, more nothing. Oddly enough, every dozen of miles or so, there's a billboard. Big, imposing signs littering the otherwise blindingly thick forest. Most of them advertise events that have long passed, close out sales for stores that have already emptied their stock. Shit, I think that one was advertising a turkey farm for Thanksgiving. And it's mid-February. If you don't like trees, and... I mean, not like Sacramento, the city of trees, but literally the site of an endless sea of green, then don't take the 202 up the coast. I'm not even sure where I am anymore, and I have less than a quarter tank of gas. Let's just hope there's some sort of gas station out here in this stretch of road, or I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. Come visit us at Delicate Days. And tell me that doesn't sound like some kind of strip club or brothel or creepy massage place that probably offers happy endings. But no, it's a doggy daycare. I mean, shouldn't places have someone that can just raise their hand to go, um, guys, that's gonna be a bad idea. Okay. So that one said, no more taxes. Come out and be heard, May 4, 2005. Really? 2005? That's 12 years old. I mean, really, who's paying for all of these? Okay, I just passed an ad for a furniture and boat combo store. I mean, I didn't even know that was a thing. Do they sell the furniture that can be installed on boats? Or is it 
like, you know, on aisle 5, there's entertainment center and couches, and on aisle 6, you can find a yacht. I mean, weird. And that one was a blank sign. You know, not old and peeling. Looked actually rather clean. Just painted entirely pearl white. Maybe it was one of those viral marketing things. Maybe I'm just starting to get hungry. Maybe it's Maybelline. But great, now I'm hungry. The last billboard was literally just a picture of a ham and egg sandwich. It was dripping with cheddar cheese and had these golden brown toasted buns with a side of fries and those little paper cups of ketchup. No advertisement, no name or location or next exit. Just a picture of the sandwich. I mean, how am I supposed to know where to go? I mean, God, I'm starving. Well, I have less than a quarter tank of gas and no, you didn't hear that wrong, Emily. I've been driving for two hours at least, and the little gas meter keeps shaking every once in a while like it's thinking about dropping down to the next tick, but it never does. At first, I thought it was the sensor in my gas tank, but this is crazy. This can't be right. Only one number in the odometer changes, the last one. The number just keeps ticking up and up and up, and when it goes from 9 to 0, the next number over stays at 2. 20,020 x but never 20,030 all i can do i guess is just keep driving driving and hoping that wherever my gas level is it'll get me through that i won't have to pull over to the side of the road and become you know the newest main character in the next box office flop of a horror movie oh boy great more billboards like that's what i fucking need right now And right then, as panic is setting in full blow, where I could have sworn I heard chainsaw-wielding, laughing hillbillies running through the forest, my gas meter clicks down to the next dash. My car turns the corner, and there are these big red and blue flashing lights off in the distance. And now, I'm stuck behind two dozen cars, blocked by three state trooper cars. Intimidating black dodges with the lights blazing off the hoods. The space in between the cars are filled with these orange-striped fencing. Classic blockade. Looks like off in the distance there's an officer talking to each of the cars as they pull up to him. I don't know what I'm going to tell him. I don't really have the gas to turn around here. I don't know how the hell I missed the exit. It's about two miles back from the blockade, and the turnoff has this big bright sign, Next Exit, Food, Gas, Motel. I mean, maybe I was desensitized by all the billboards, maybe it was the panic. Right. So the officer told me that there was an accident, that the highway was too dangerous to cross, they were routing all traffic to the small turnoff settlement until the incident cleared up. I tried asking questions, but his answer was a simple wave of his orange little light, moving it more obnoxiously the louder I got. Asshole. It's no wonder that the officer over at the roadblock called this place a settlement. The place is far too small to be called a town or even a hamlet. It's literally a potholed road that dead ends at an old diner and gas station. And that's about it. 
There's a few RV homes permanently rusted into the dirt and an old dilapidated building with a collapsed roof. I think the faded old sign said Reggie's Tone Repair. <laughs> well, it looks like Reggie hightailed it out here a long time ago. Or maybe he's under that roof. This uh, settlement probably hasn't seen as many people today as it has in a long time. Cars packed the side of the street, and the only parking lot is filled to the brim. Even a couple of the grassy fields are filled with cars. Some of the people are grumbling and tired, and you know, I understand. I've seen a few people with maps or looking at their phones, probably looking for some other route, one that won't take them hours south again. <laughs> Good luck with that, right? Oh, and the diner. Remember that billboard about meat pies? Yeah, the mystery meat ones. It's this place, Fat Fork Diner. On the side of the diner, there's this old poster, really faded. But it shows a kid, maybe 12, smoking a cigarette with a huge smile on his face. I mean, it's old, real old. But who keeps something like this up? I mean, it's right there on the wall that faces the parking lot, so it's probably not forgotten. Maybe the owners think it's funny? Or have some misguided belief that the cigarette is everyone's god-given right at birth? <laughs> oh god, I wish I were kidding. The diner is pretty packed. The smell of grease and the odor of people who have spent far too many hours stuck in a car has filled the room. And the menu is about what you expect from a place like this. A piece of laminated paper, stained with age and smudged with fingerprints. The entire front page is pretty much burgers. The grilled onion burger, the cheddar mushroom burger, the teriyaki burger, the double barbecue trouble. What the hell does that mean? Okay, well, the only thing that even resembles a vegetable is the steamed carrots that come with chicken fried steak. I wonder if they're actually steamed or, you know, if they're more like thrown onto a grill under a bunch of oil hoping no one would notice, or care. Ooh, they have pie. Raspberry pie. I'll let you in on a secret, Emily. Raspberry pie and coffee. Black coffee. Just a couple drops of creamer, not too much now, and raspberry pie. Just trust me, try it. I mean, I guess you could do boysenberry pie, or blackberry, but it's just not the same. Oh, and don't even think about rhubarb. Rhubarb is gross. I mean, they used to use rhubarb as a laxative. <laughs> don't believe me? Look it up. I mean, is that something that should be in a pie? I don't think so. Starting to get the idea that this might be more than a simple car accident. More officers have arrived, state troopers. Almost a full, small army of men and women in beige uniforms. They're all gathering across the street in the field, all around their cars, pointing, arguing. It doesn't take a couple dozen of armed folks with heavy flashlights, guns, and attitudes to clear a road hazard. Alright, I've been watching them for a little while now, and there's one that stands out. It's hard to see her at times, because she's only about five feet tall. She has peach blonde hair cut to her shoulders. And unlike the other troopers, she has a hat with a shiny insignia that blinds you if the light hits it just right. She's been jumping around, poking other officers in the chest, red in the face. 
assumably from all the arguing and all the jumping around, but it's kind of cute. Well, I had some pie, had some coffee, and felt like I needed a good walk. And I gotta tell you, there's a lot of weird things about this place. I mean, how does a place like this keep existing? There are signs that this place used to be, you know, a place. There's a couple other buildings marking the horizons out beyond the gatherings of trees and tall grass. I made my way about a hundred feet to the east, far past the encirclement of the state troopers. There's a shed, leftovers of a rotting fence post, but it was the house, built on the edge of the bridge line. It still stands, but just barely. And there's this enormous hole that goes from one side of the building to the other. Well, maybe it was a bunch of holes? It's hard to tell. I tried to get a closer look, but as I got closer, I could see the smallest breeze shook debris and the rotting foundation loose. Okay, um, I see my car, and it looks like two of the officers are standing by it. One is the, the short one. The, you know, cute one. Okay, so I got to meet with that short officer. You know, peach blonde hair, the cute one. When I returned to the car, she and another officer were waiting there. They grilled me, uh, had me explain where I had been. It was one of those awkward conversations where you know that the other person is hiding something and they know that you know that they're hiding something. Just, what are they hiding? The midday sun has begun to bake the area. The mini-mart and the gas station is completely sold out of things like water, soda, ice cream. They have plenty of jalapeno crunch bars though. I mean, is that really a thing? I didn't even think they sold crunch bars anymore, let alone make a jalapeno flavor. Okay, well, as I left the mini-mart, Clara, or Captain Beckon, the short officer, you know, cute one, approached me again. This time she was a little more open. She asked me to come with her, and I asked her if that was an order. She laughed and handed me a bottle of water, dripping with sweat the way that only a cold bottle could. No, she said, it's a trade. Captain Beckon brought me to the scene of the accident. Evidently, a prison bus just veered right off the road and into the hillside. And the bus just sat there, in the middle of a clearing. A huge chunk of its engine and front hood smashed to the point where it's hard to tell one point from another. It looked like, you know, that classic drove into a tree or pole scenario, where the carcass of the car wraps around the tree when you're driving too fast. But here, there was no tree, no pole. And on top of that, no bodies. There are a few bloody footprints that could be followed up north, but that just doesn't make sense. Emily, if the prisoners caused this crash, or if they attempted to escape, why run north? Why head back the way they came? Surely they knew the troopers would be looking for them and would head south following them. East would have been the smart way to go, the only way to go. But that would put them straight at the small unnamed settlement. I shared my thoughts with Beckon, and she smiled and said, Yep, that's what we thought. We begun to head up the hill, to the highway, and just for a moment I thought I saw the person in the tan coat looking down for me. It looked like he was hiding behind one of the trees. I barely blinked, and it was gone. 
I agreed to help Captain Beckon and the other officers comb the forest tonight. Not sure how much help, you know, I can be. Not sure if she knows I used to be an officer myself. Not sure what's out there. Not sure where you are, Emily. I'm not sure of a lot of things lately. But if my helping her gets me across that roadblock and on my way, hey, I'm game. The sun is setting on the settlement, and the glow of orange light is bathing everything in this intensely calming echo of light. Beckon has ordered nine groups of three to comb the forest. Three miles every direction. Turn back and fire a flare if the escaped convicts are found. I'm going to be with Captain Beckon and some newbie of the force, uh, and Officer Takumi, I think? Alright, it's starting out pretty uneventful. Okay, that's a lie. One of the groups were shitting around and accidentally shot their flare gun at the ground. Almost started a huge fire. It was worth a good laugh. Even funnier to see Captain Beckon's face turn immediately this bright red, more akin to a strawberry than an actual skin color. She started yelling, and since then, there's just been a lot of walking. Well, we've stopped for a stretch, and Beckon's searching for any sign of footprints, and I... Wait... It... The fuck? company that Bryce told me about. It's been about a day and a half since my last recording. Uh, yeah, okay, so there we were. Takumi had gone to go to Galit behind one of the trees. It had been a while and Beckon was still off in the distance looking for footprints. I glanced over to, I don't know, check on him or something. And that's when I saw what was definitely not Takumi. Its head was twisted and affixed with these giant antlers, and it was nearly three feet taller than Takumi. A dark liquid was dripping from its mouth, and its gaping mouth moved in just such a way that you could tell it was chewing or gnawing. I yelled out to Beckon, but before she could turn around, it came charging at me. I heard these heavy, hollow sounds. I'm not sure if Beckon pulled out her gun or if it was the sound of an enormous beast galloping towards me. Now, you could say it was just a big elk, a, a big guy, but I'll, I'll tell you now, Emily, that was no elk. No deer, no fucking moose. I twisted my body around as fast as I could, and I booked it. I was trying to play with my holster as I ran, trying to undo the clip and get the gun out, but by the time I had the courage to stop and turn around, it was a few feet away, grunting and growling this wet gurgle. And it was staring at Beckon. And there were flashes from her gun. And I'm not sure, but it looked like at least a few of those shots hit. And the creature stood just unbroken. Suddenly, the flashes and echoes were all over the place in the woods. You can see them just flashing everywhere. Beckon turned, and for just a moment, the blink of an eye, it charged. It lowered its head, skewered her straight in the stomach. It threw it 
threw its head down and around and stopped around Beckon's body and I was so far away but I'm sure I could have heard the cracking. It howled the way no creature should. And I ran. I'm a coward and I admit that. I'm a coward and I'm sorry. I'm just... I'm so sorry. Yeah, that, that wasn't the end. I ran, and I ran, and then I tripped. I hit my shin real hard, and when I tried feeling for my gun or anything in the darkness, I felt a soft, cold gush meet my hand. It was sticky and thick. I fumbled for my phone and got the light on, and I found one of the prisoners, or his torso at least, that similar haunting sound of a gurgle was starting to surround me. I turned my head slightly and I met the creature. Brown, matted fur, and it was covered in these weird, bulging abscesses. And where its eyes should have been was an empty void. Not to say that there were no eyes, but there weren't. There was this emptiness, an empty void, a dark hole. It was pulling at me. It wanted to devour my soul, it wanted to leave my flesh to rot. It brought its head closer and closer, and I couldn't pull away. It started to screech, it was quiet at first, but then it got louder and louder. A mind-shattering screech, it echoed from the empty hole of its skull. And then I woke up, right there next to the torso of the prisoner. The morning dew was sticking to my body. When I returned, I found that most of the other officers didn't. There were only six left. But I told them what I thought they could handle. I said that we got separated, which was true. And then I said that I thought it was a bear, which wasn't true. I told them about the prisoner's mangled body. I told them that I couldn't handle seeing it again. I gave them directions and told them that I just wanted to go home. I wish I could go home, Emily. I really do. But it's too late for that now. <laughs> and you already know that, don't you? Where the Asphalt Ends is written and performed by Pendleton, Maine, and edited by Shalene Crew. Music is by Disparition. You can find more by Disparition at disparition.info. Tonight's episode was titled Billboards and Roadblocks. If you'd like to learn more or get updates on our future episodes, follow us on Twitter or Facebook. Thank you for listening, and remember, the grass may be greener on the other side, but there is no telling what sort of bloody sacrifices they made to get it that way.